This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hi folks, just a heads up, today's episode contains discussions of domestic abuse, illness and racial tension. With all that aside, thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy. Well, it's a new show, so I think we should introduce ourselves. I'm Luca Veroness and I'm a Durham student. Uh, I'm Zach Cairns and I'm a film student studying at Bristol, not not Durham. So we'll see how that goes uh, <laughs> with, with, this, with, this, with, this, uh, with this broadcast. We'll see how long this lasts get taken off the air immediately after the pilot so we've known each other for actually it's been i did the maths the other day we've known each other for over seven years at this point yeah because it's just a bit into secondary school yeah so we've known each other since year nine secondary school and a bit of backstory here we both did a level film studies yeah, and that's. I mean, we were kind of friends before. We were friends before that. You know, we had yeah. seen each other and stuff. But I think I think that's when we properly sort of developed a um, a relationship, like, 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 like a stronger relationship, <laughs> which I guess speaks to this: the fact that we would do a podcast like this together. True, kind of makes sense considering the friendship kind of built around the study of the subject, the study in, of in, cinema, in a large part of cinema of kino. I'm just giving the yes. audience some of our qualifications so it's not just another podcast of two random white guys talking about film. Which it is. It definitely is. But Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. But I, I'm an academic, Luca, you know. I've, I've written <laughs> academic papers and essays about film, you know. I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm you know, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Russell Group educated film student. <laughs> um, you know. So, I mean, you know, I, I've got all the, I, I basically, I mean, I'm basically Mark Commode. I could talk about this all day. I mean, I don't actually Perfect think you have any more qualification than Mark Commode, so yeah. Well, he's graduated, I think. But, yeah, but you've you know, got... That, that might be... You've got a couple of months. Just give me a few months. I'll be in the same place. So... And this is where it all begins. The Durham University-hosted podcast, Kill My Darling. Do you want to explain the premise, or shall I? Um, I think, well, you, you were the one to... It was your... Your darling, if you will, your baby. You're the one who kind of came up with the idea. So, well, I'm going to kill I'm it. This podcast's you. over. <laughs> oh, okay, that, 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 that was very, that was very short. It was very very short lived. It turned out okay. um, it really did not work for long. So, as I said, we've known each other since 2016, and we did film studies for two years together. And in that time and since, I don't think we've actually been able to agree on a single film that we like. No, at least not not memorably. Not memorably. So, uh, the rough premise of the show is that we can never, we never actually find ourselves liking the same film or TV show. We always have a little gripe about it. So, our, our quest, our little mission, I guess you could say, is we're trying to find a selection of films that we both like. And the way this is going to work is that each fortnight, one of us is going to choose a theme and a film for the theme. And then the other is going to select a film that we think might complement it. Yeah, so, um, and I guess that, that will kind of give us a nice variety of different stuff. And the theme doesn't always have to be, you know, very academic. It doesn't have to be genre-based or decade-based yeah. or whatever. It could, it could be, you know, it could be comfort films. It could be, you know, things you associate with a certain emotion or, you know. It, so we're going to explore a lot of wide things and probably going to have people question the... Um, question the exact uh, categorizations and i'm sure there's going to be a, a lot of people a lot of us weaving our favorite films into these uh yeah. into these themes but um we'll, we'll see how it goes at some point i'm going to pair one of your films with a bluey episode and there's nothing you can do about it 
I don't know if anyone's ever told you this before, but America's pretty big. I spent the first 14 years of my life in Singapore, and if you started walking around that island at breakfast time, by the time you made it back, it would be dinner. Then I moved to England, and that seemed like a pretty big place at the time compared to Singapore. It takes me about three and a half hours to drive uh, to university. You can drive anywhere from Singapore in three and a half hours except for the sea. But that's nothing compared to America. There's some folks in America who see three and a half hours as a pop to the shops. The first time I went to America was back in 2019 before COVID. I never really clocked how goddamn big the country was until I went to Colorado and saw the plains stretching from one corner of the horizon to another. It's surreal. There's nothing but grass, sky, and the Rockies blocking out the West, stretching all the way from Canada to Mexico. America's big, but it's also kind of empty. The further inland you go from the coasts and the Great Lakes, the less people you come across. There's a lot of space in that country for people to go a bit strange. Zach, what was your first impressions of America? My first impressions of America? So, I myself have only been to America, I think, once. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had family friends in America, they're in Boston, we kind of visited them. I mean, we went kind of about, but it was, you know, kind of New York, Boston, that, you know, that kind of area. So that's kind of, in terms of an intimate experience I've had, that's kind of all I've had. And okay. weirdly, even though New York especially isn't known for this, um, all I can really remember is that it was really hot. Um, it was really hot. <laughs> And I was like, this, I was like, this just wouldn't happen in the UK. And I was like, this is, people just live like this. You know, I could just see the humidity. Yeah. And, you know, these massive tall buildings, which, I mean, you know, London does have and and, and things, but it it really did feel quite different in a way. Um, New York York very much feels like a canyon. Especially when you're in the denser bits. And I know what you mean by the heat, because I remember getting there and just being drenched in sweat. Yeah, which is not something people talk about. Talk, people talk about how cold New York is in the yeah. winter, and things like that. It's not like a famous thing, that, but yeah, I, it was also interesting. Um, as again, a personal sort of on a personal note, even though I wasn't, you know, I I've never lived anywhere but the UK. I've never lived anywhere but in England, in fact. So, uh, in fact, I've never re- you know, really lived anywhere other than the house I'm in right now, basically. <laughs> Always live where I've lived. But my parents did live in America in the 90s. They oh. only actually came, they came back sort of, you know, you know, to kind of have us and, and that sort of thing. They mm. lived in Hoboken in New Jersey, so they Enjoy. visited New York, yeah, a lot and, and yeah. everything. So it's kind of interesting talking to them about how they perceived it. And they were only there, yeah, for like a few years. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, it's kind of interesting. So I've got that experience of America and then just kind of just, yeah, like I think cause you can kind of convince yourself that the culture is not that different because American culture is kind of global culture and they speak English. But just kind of little an- anecdotes they would that they would tell me about how they would talk to their American friends and stuff. It, it's kind of it's kind of weirdly, weirdly different. Yeah, there are little things that catch you off guard. Um now, the reason I brought up Weirdos in the Gaps for America is because I think it ties quite nicely into the two films we're about to talk about. Um, Zach, 
would you care to explain our choice of films for this fortnight? Yeah, so um, we are talking about two films, um, two films which we happen to study uh, in conjunction with one another at A-level, and they were probably the two most memorable uh, discussions we had um, about any films, I would say. Uh, and so that this, this episode will be looking at uh, first, our first film, Captain Fantastic, which came out in 2016, uh, kind of quite a successful indie drama directed by Matt Ross and starring Viggo Mortensen. Um, and in the second half, we will look at uh, No Country for Old Men, which we kind of looked at within the same kind of unit. That was kind of the mainstream comparison to the indie drama mm-hmm. um, that we had in this uh, in our in our school study. So. Uh, and yeah, again, these were kind of these were these were films that got strong reactions from both of us, whether positively or negatively. Um, so this should be it should be an interesting discussion. It is. I'm looking forward to going back to No Country for Old Men because that was a film I ended up writing an essay for. So I might see if I can go find that, dig that out somewhere, and see if it still holds up, as it were. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I'm sure many other A-level students have now have now cited it in their essays about No Country for Old Men. Does that make me? Um, I'm part of the film studies canon now. That is incredible. You, you, now, I guess, I guess you, you, are, you are really the academic. I mean, you're the only one who's published out of the two of us. I mean, I've got a, I've got a stack of essays. So, you know, <laughs> they're not going to be published anywhere. Yeah. Oh man. So, um, now we've got that out of the way, should we, should we talk about the film itself? Yeah, let's talk about little old, little old Captain Fantastic. Captain. Not a superhero film, by the way. No. Um. When I when we first watched this film, um, a film called Eddie the Eagle was also coming out, and I thought they were the same film, because I thought Eddie the Eagle was about a bit of a goober superhero fella, and I thought the name Captain Fantastic was sort of like an endearing comment they gave him. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I could see that. I could see that. Um, now, this film was quite infamous because you hated it. I hated it. Yep. Our beloved film teachers both hated it. Everyone in the class seemed to love it. Yeah, that's that's that that is true. We were kind of it was kind of our friendship group really was quite set against it. Mm. Um, and we so we kind of got on with the teachers and we you know make fun of it. We to them bonded through mutual but the rest hatred. of the class yeah exactly but the rest of the class was really not on board with this and sort of just had to sit there and take it as we publicly in class shame the thought looking back yeah. on it as well we sort of um we were very much the most vocal people in the class um and i remember you and i would go on big spiels about how stupid this film was and there was always someone in a corner who goes well i liked it I kind of feel bad looking yeah. back on it, but but I'm like, well, you should you should you should have spoke up, mate. Spoke <laughs> up. If if you if you had the reason, you know, if you had if you had the 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 it's your you know, the rationality to defend your film, you you know, you could have you could have stopped us from doing it. But checkmate, they liberals. didn't. They didn't. Um, <laughs> Let's try it with facts and logic. However, a year later, when we were revising this film. You said the worst thing that's ever come to your mouth from me, yeah. which was, <laughs> I actually kind well, of like this. Yeah, because 
I probably watched it. I don't know how many times you could endure watching it for revision. Once. But um, once. Okay. Um, I've watched it, including you know having rewatched it this week for this podcast, probably four or five times now. Um, I'm a I'm a big rewatch guy, especially when it comes to studying stuff. I really like. I think there is a really big value in rewatching something if you're going to analyze it, not just picking up the clips that you kind of like or whatever. Um, although there's nothing wrong with that either. But um, yeah, just as I watched it more and more, I kind of noticed actually, you know, especially comparing it to other films, the characters are quite well crafted. You know, it's kind of a pleasant and nice story and it kind of does have, you know, interesting elements about it. And I think that uh, my really harsh judgment of it came from the fact that it was paired in the unit with, as, as we've already said, with No Country for Old Men, which... Mm, which is kind of unfair. Few, yeah, and few films like this side of 2000 really stack up to No Country for Old Men. So I think when you were like, oh, half the lesson is going to be spent analysing No Country for Old Men, and the other half was Captain Fa- Fantastic, you kind of felt like you were getting shortchanged a bit. Yeah, it's kind of like comparing a high school athlete to an Olympian. It's like they both technically have achieved, but yeah, head over heels. There's definitely one. Um, God, we're so, actually we're talking about this like it's an objective thing. It's not. This is the whole point of this podcast that it's actually subjective. I've just had an epiphany. Um, <laughs> you love Captain Fantastic now. Whoa! It's just as good. It's just well, as good as any film. Um, one thing I do actually want to talk about as I was rewatching this. Um, I want to touch on this at the end, but. I would like to discuss what this film is actually trying to do. And by that, I mean, is it trying to be a political film or is it trying to be a more personal story? And I don't want to discuss this now. I want to discuss this at the end of the yeah. episode, towards the end, if that's all right with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, t- I mean, it kind of, that kind of blends well with what I was thinking about as well, kind of going into this. So, okay. yeah, I think that's def- def- an obvious kind of avenue of discussion, I would say. Okay. this film kind of prompts you to think but so i think the opening scene of this film is really interesting mainly mm. from a character setup perspective i would go out on a limb and say this film's intro sets up a really good different film right. um so we've got a little panning shot over a little forest uh, and i've got in my notes it looks exactly like twilight I don't know if that's a positive or negative comparison. I'm not quite sure. Because um, in class, uh, people compared it to The Shining. Um, I watched Twilight as a joke over COVID, and looking back on it, it's like, hey, yo, this is uh, this is the same place. It's got the same light and everything. Um, you're saying Twilight's inspired by Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying Stanley Kubrick might have been a... Definitely was a bit of Jacob Stan. Um, so we pan down into the forest, and the first thing we see, apart from a deer making its way through um the undergrowth is one of these goober children keeping its eyes open um while wearing blackface um trying to hunt this deer well I, I, we, we should know for people who haven't seen this film, <laughs> it's, it's not, not actually blackface actually, actually blackface he's, he's you know yeah. it's kind of like you know he's hunting he's trying to camouflage he's putting, yeah you know black, he, black paint and dirt on he, he looks like marlon brando in apocalypse now when he's tormenting um the dude in the cage yeah 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 so the reason I find this scene interesting is because it almost feels like, in this case, 
the main character of Captain Fantastic is not a pseudo-intellectual like he is presented as for the rest of the film. He almost feels like a feral prepper. Because what's happening in this scene is his eldest son is undergoing some sort of rite of manhood by killing mm. a deer. Literally, he jumps on it and slits its throat and eats its raw liver. And I remember this specifically because he says, today, the boy becomes a man. Um, this yeah. is, you know, obviously it's very inspired by actual ceremonies of, or either actual ceremonies mm. of tribalhood, uh, tribal manhood, or someone's idea of what this might look like. Um, yeah, yeah. And it almost, this is interesting because, um, so my main degree is actually anthropology. And this mm. almost reminds me of a documentary. It all, it's got that same look of, um, a camera held back from a bunch of people going about their daily lives like they're not acknowledging the camera that um they almost look mute when they first come out of the forest you don't actually know who these people are or what they are um mm. but that's why i say this film feels like a very this intro feels like it sets up a very different film because as we find out later these aren't people who have gone feral living in the woods they're a sort of pseudo intellectual retreat cult yeah and i would actually kind of agree with that criticism i love the opening scene because i think it's a really captivating opening scene like stand alone it's really really just good <laughs> like it captures the attention but i agree with you that it does seem to promise slightly different film and a slightly different characters than you actually get especially literally the next scene which i actually also like where mm. they actually establish how they are living yeah you're like oh no these are very these are people like people who live in a commune yeah they're not like people who live in a in you know some tribalistic society you know it, yeah. it's that and, and in fact they're not living sorry, tribalistic no. society they're living tiktok van life but tiktok van life but very committed TikTok very van committed life. TikTok I, well, van life. Say, yeah but it, it but it's it is strange because it's like they're very these, these intellectuals who are reading books and you know of, of apps you know recognized classics and things like that and it is slightly odd that they have Apparently, this ritualistic side to them. You almost think, you know, with their mm. intellectualism, you almost think they wouldn't do something like that. But Yeah, and so there's two things I want to touch on on what you just said. One, this is spoilers for the later of the film, but they say that, I'm not gonna, even going to call him Ben, Viggo Mortensen's character, Captain Fantastic, his wife is a Buddhist. She's mm. a Buddhist, but as they say in film, Buddhist, um, which she allegedly practiced as a religion. Um, and she's mm. fine with them just going out and murdering an animal. Um, you know, it feels very, yeah, I, it, I, like, this is a very religious ceremony, and it feels like they've deliberately abandoned ritual, or at least religion, and it's weird that, mm. the only thing I have in my head is that Captain Fantastic's just been waiting his entire life to do this, and now his wife is away, he's just gone, he's just he embraced Monkey. Yeah, let's murder that deer. Come let's on, let's do it. <laughs> eat the liver, eat the liver. I've always wanted to do this. It would be so cool. Mm. It's the reason I moved into the woods. Man woke up yeah, and chose I, violence. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I kind of agree. I, I, yeah. I, I have mixed feelings about it because, again, I actually do like the work that they then later to establish actually what they're like. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, and I like the scene individually, but the two together do definitely clash. Um. You also brought up the books, and I want to say, I know exactly what scene you're talking about, and I think 
my discussion of the books is going to mm. segue into this. So a little bit later, we catch on to... Um, they're called the Cash Family. They're sitting around a fire, and they are reading academic books. Now, listeners, mm. you can't hear this, but I did massive finger quotes when I said academic because these aren't actually academic books. They are the type of book that your dad buys at a WH Smith or a bookshop in an airport to seem clever. So it's stuff like um, Sapiens, Guns, Germs, Steel, Stephen Hawking's Brief History of Time. You know, they are definitely, den not dense, not even dense books, actually. They are definitely intellectual books, but they're coffee table intellectual books. But in the film, they're treating them like they're serious academic texts. I've got a... I mean... Yeah, okay, sorry. sorry. No, no, you go. I was say, I mean, I, I, I do agree with that, but I think, to be honest, because... I think, A, they wanted something that's very recognisable for an audience to say, oh, okay, that is a really smart book. Especially because they're not just reading books about science, they're also reading, like, Middlemarch and literary classics and things like that. Um, and I think they want people to be able to recognise the intelligence of that. But... Also, even if it is a basic intellectual thing, you might argue, um, they're being handled by children, but... which I think is very big factor to, yeah. to, to take, take into account. But here's the thing. It's going back to what you said about recognizability to the audience. It's, I don't want to sound cruel here, but I'm going to say this is um, an idiot's thinking film because it's stuff that you recognize as smart and it's not actually smart. Um, and I have, a, I have another example of this later in the film because this, <laughs> this example made me jump out of a chair and scream at the television because I found it so utterly stupid. Um, but I think just going back here before I go on a rant about um, uh, set design um, okay. I think this is the scene you said you quite liked uh, have I got that right the bit where no, I, I, Ben pulls out his guitar mean, not, and plays Wonderwall yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I like that scene um, and I, I, I will talk about that in a second but also just the kind of montage where it's cutting and he's sort of talking about oh training in in in, in five minutes and and they're all rushing around and they're, and they're you know um doing all their kind of daily tasks and you can see their routine and their rotor that they're very an organized kind of commune sort of society you know as a family um the thing i like about that is you can see that that yeah they've kind of you can see clearly it's a commune not a tribe you know with a with any religious aspect to it and you can kind of, you can see these photos which give insight into the previous life Ben had. And it, it's quite interesting because it's not just like, oh, look, he's a guy who, you know, he was in society and now he's not in society sort of thing. It kind of paints him as this kind of strange maverick character already. Like he's wearing this red, mm. you know, suit at his wedding. Like you kind of yeah. know, okay, this is a guy who was always a bit counter culture. Yeah. And this is now, it's kind of fully manifested. I forget um, what it is, but later in the film, we see him wearing a political T-shirt from the 80s, and I think it was quite an obscure candidate. It, it's it's that sort of thing where it's clearly yeah, a T-shirt. That's it, yeah. It's a T-shirt he's had. Jesse Jackson was the first um, black presidential um, oh, okay. yeah. uh, nominee, I believe. He was a Democrat, and I believe that was actually also something that um, Viggo Mortensen brought. It was a T-shirt that okay, Viggo Mortensen had himself, and he brought it into the character and was like to Matt Ross, okay. the director of this film. You know, would, do you think this would work for the characters? You know, does this work? And that's yeah. something that Viggo Mortensen actually brought to the role. But, but the characters, you're right. It's good at setting up the character as a guy who's been pushed against the mainstream for a while. My mm. main problem with this, and this is something I only realized now re-watching it, 
when I said earlier he's living TikTok van life, what I mean by that is this motherfucker has assumed the air of poverty, but he has a massive safety net. Because as we learn later, his father-in-law is a rich-ass dude living on a golf course in Arizona. So this guy can afford to go off into the woods because he knows he's got a safety net. And the reason we know he's got a safety net is because the next scene is Mr. Captain Fantastic learning that his wife died in a hospital, a private hospital. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, to be fair, this is kind of recognised as a thing. And I think this this will go to discussion I think we'll have later about the nature of Ben, Captain Fantastic's character. Yeah. Um, because he is called out for that by his kids. He's like... Yeah. I th- he says, like, especially, I thought you were against Big Pharma and, you know, all this private medicine and all this money mm. and, you, you know, you don't like um, Jack, uh, yeah. plugged by Frank Langella. Um, but you're willing to take advantage. But you're willing to, but you're willing to take yeah. advantage of this. Yeah. You know. And I think you're right. So it, that is a good discussion to be had, but let's save that for the end. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you there, but I think if we start talking about that, we won't have anything for later. Um, no, no. I was yeah. I was just kind of just pointing out that kind of bit that again, just early on, these contradictions yeah. are set in place, and I think True. they are deliberate contradictions. Okay. I don't think that's an accident. Okay, because I'm not entirely sure on that, but let's let's get into that a little bit later. Um, mm. My main notes for this scene <laughs> is in all caps: "Is that the bar from Breaking Bad?" Because it looks like the bar oh, yeah, where Walter yeah, yeah, yeah. White <laughs> um, in the penultimate episode goes back to um, New Mexico. <laughs> Yeah, it, it kind of does. I can kind of see that, actually. And he's, you know, there alone. Yeah, it's kind of, it kind of works. I can kind of see Brian Cranston in this role, you know, actually. He's kind of, you know, he's sort of... He has a similar quality, I think. But, Jesse, you know, training in five minutes. Jesse. Jesse, we have to live in the commune, Jesse. Gus won't find us there. Yo, Mr. White, we're building bird cages, Mr. White. Oh, God. oh no. no, no, it's no, taken. No. It's Aragorn definitely, it's definitely better. <laughs> it's definitely, no. definitely better than Walter White. It's taken us thirty minutes to devolve into breaking all the bad references <laughs> and impressions. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, in this scene, we find out that um, Mrs. Cash has died. Yep. Um, we are told that she was uh, suicidal and that she has killed herself. Um. Mm. This is another thing I only realized rewatching it now. The purpose of most women in this film is to die. They are not actually characters with agency. They actually only exist to facilitate the character arcs of other men in this film. Um, and there's another example that comes on later, but I'd be interested to see what you think of that. Yeah, I mean, I actually wrote this um, not in relation to the... Um... The, the mother character, but I've actually got written as a note that I took, you know, when I, when I watched the film, I've said about how I really like some of the subplots of the, I love, I like, like the character arcs and the, and, the, and the main plot with Ben. And I really like some of the subplots, but I've, I have also written, however, the girls especially get really lost in this. Mm. Um, I think the, the male characters in the film are really well explored in my opinion. I actually think they're very well built. But yeah, you're kind of right. The, the female characters are kind of only given significance by a big incident that kind of happens yeah. and the way it affects kind of everyone else. Um, which you know, not I don't think in terms of within 
it's not necessarily a bad storytelling device the way it's used but yeah those characters do feel a little bit less it's a bit they, they do feel a bit more flat they do feel a bit more flat it's, it's true do you think this is a good point to actually just give a rundown of our main family because we've been talking around it for a while um yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to do that or? um yeah so we've got ben cash captain fantastic um mm. played by vigo mortensen of lord of the rings aragorn fame yes um, um so he's the he's the kind of the, yeah the family patriarch the father uh, of this group father um the father yeah um and then sort of the other main characters are bodovan who's played by george mckay who you might know from 1917 george mckay really good actor um doing an american accent here yeah bodovan he's the eldest son he's kind of um, the one who kills the deer at the beginning <laughs> The one who kills the deer in the beginning, and he's, he has this sort of journey into into manhood across the film, arguably is this thing. Um, and we also have we have then two two girls who, so like I was saying, I think get lost a bit. Yeah, they so are a little bit interchangeable. They are, I think they're twins. Look, look, um, and in my notes, yeah. they're always just the ginger twins. They could yeah, be the same person. Vesper, Vesper, Vesper and, and Keela. Yeah, that's it. They yeah. could be. They're literally the only purpose they have in the film, apart from spoiler alert, to nearly die, is they sort of mm. just react to things. Like we have, we we get a revelation, yeah. and then they always cuts to these two sobbing together or cuddling together, to the point where they mm. they feel joined at the hip. And I'm gonna yeah. be honest, they yeah. might as well be the same character. Yeah, I I, I agree with this i also think you can probably apply that to the two there's two younger children as yes. well um I can't even one of them it. is one of them is basically slightly more funny than the other one and that's one of them of is naked and that's it that's literally yeah. their personality they are naked yeah which is a bit yeah a bit yikes um, but but with, with, with the with the girls it's a bit yeah it, you know you would hope for a bit more character with them but I will say, I think what this comes down to is Matt Ross probably wrote this wanting to write stories or finding himself being able to write stories about Bodovan and about um, Ben and about Relian, yeah. um, who I should mention. Relian, who, who is kind of the, the middle, he's the kind of problem, the middle problem child who is the most rebellious against Ben. And yeah, those are all well explored. And I think he could kind of find his way into those stories. But I think what he wanted, A, he wanted obviously female characters in the film. And I think B, he wanted the idea that Ben is leading this big, this yeah. big happy family they, who's in, you know, it's this kind of big society that he leads, this team that he leads. It couldn't just be him and his two boys. It wouldn't work. It almost feels like the Von Trapp family in a weird way. Yep. Yeah, and I, reviewers have compared um, yeah. him to Von Trapp. Yeah. He, yeah this. Uh, so Ben Cash is basically um, Maria Von Trapp. If she watched too many survivalist videos on YouTube and took <laughs> and um, took a very superficial reading of leftist philosophies, Ben learns from his father-in-law. Who um, I was watching Arrested Development when I also watched this, and I've just written down that he sounds like George Bluth, um, the dad in Arrested oh. Development. <laughs> so I was half expecting. I, I haven't watched it. Oh, you should. It's um, I think it's Chevy, I Ch Chevy Chase. I think who plays George Bluth. Oh, Chevy Chase. Love Chevy. Chase. I think so. Um, <laughs> I was just expecting him to yell, "There's cash in the banana stand!" At some point halfway through, right. that that is not going to make sense to anybody. <laughs> Anyone you have to watch, yeah, this makes sense to me. So he learns from George Bluth that um his wife has died, and he goes back and just goes into a little room where all his kids are sleeping, 
and basically drops a massive bombshell saying, your mum are dead. We get a very Freudian scene where um, Relian, the problematic child, um, mm. has an Oedipus complex. He's very emotional about his mother and he tries to kill his father. Yes, that's true. I didn't <laughs> think of that, to be honest. I did write that as a joke, yeah. to be fair, but now I've, I'm looking at it. But it kind of does work as a thing. Yeah. Um, but I think more where this comes from is obviously in the, in the narrative is that he feels that Ben and the lifestyle that they've led has caused the mother's death. And so, you know, he lashes yeah. out at Ben specifically. Yeah. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not just a random sort of Freudian, mm. um, you know, out, out, you know, just lashing out. How does Mr. Captain Fantastic go about dealing with the, the death of his wife? Well, as as far as I remember, he obviously has the scene where he very brutally just kind of tells his children um, that 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 you know that their mother is dead, and they react as you expect. Um, but as far as I remember, it's just that he he then basically is <laughs> he kind of goes on a mission to um, to to show up at the funeral. Yeah, um, that's happening. But in between that, we've it's... got a scene where they get back to training. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what are they training for? I think just general survival. Because um, I noticed something which made me giggle, and now I can't unsee this. Um, mm -hmm. okay. So, um, there is a noted absence of absence of minority characters in this film, and Ben. Mm -hmm. Ben has secluded himself from the world. He wears a Hammer of Thor pendant, which has been adopted by a bunch of alt-right groups recently. And he is blonde and yeah. has blue eyes. My man is training for the race war. <laughs> this I, 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 think, I think you're really into this a little bit. I think you're really... I, I, I think no, 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 no. Hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. This dude has secluded himself in the woods with his Aryan blonde ginger children and is right. training them to murder. Okay, so he's so he's gonna make so he's gonna come back out of the woods, take over society, and make it a racially pure communist society. Uh, <laughs> every, everyone, every oh god, no, no, um, no, no, that is not this, a reading of this film. This is not a reading. This film is not a reading. This film that anyone legitimately has. Yeah, um, um I think the point not... about a lack of ethnic minorities is something we can bring up later, but um. That's something I would have touched on. Yeah, but but it yeah. definitely isn't a film about someone going for that. Yeah. Um, so um, they're climbing a bare mountain face. Relian, the the uh, the Freudian youngster, falls off. Is yeah. said to have broken his arm, but he sort of does. It's a bit. They say he broke his hand. hand isn't it? Yeah, but he doesn't. They don't put it in a cast or anything like that. And he's we see him using it out perfectly fine for the rest of the film. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, I, yeah, I can't really remember exactly what if they say that he has that injury. They definitely say that he's, I mean, I think he's got some sort of thing in his hand or a fracture or something. Mm. I mean, later this does come into play, but it... It, it does, yeah, but... It, 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 it does, but it, it's not in the sense that it is this big injury. It's kind of more in the sense of that it's visible scarring and bruising. Um, it's more, where, you know, what it works for. I can't remember exactly if they do establish, like... Oh, really? And, you know, his hand is screwed and he can't do anything. No, because um, um, he's able to actually climb on it. It hurts. So it's almost more like a sprain than anything else. Yeah. So I, I think it's not a, a, you know, a big part of the film. No. I mean, it's kind of, it does it's, come, it's, it's it a Chekhov's gun, Chekhov's uh, but not in the way that you would 
get Chekhov's wrist, but it's not like in the way that you'd think. It's not, yeah. it, you know, it's an emotional Chekhov's gun rather than a physical. Um, now, I can't remember when this happens, but it's before they leave the commune. The oldest son, Bodovan, mm. receives a bunch of letters from various universities in the United States. And this goes back to what I was saying about this film showing you these people are clever with things which are recognizably clever. Because he's going mm. through these papers and they say, they literally say Harvard, Brown, Yale. They're all Ivy League schools. And it's... it's I, I didn't take a note of them, but it is literally the Wikipedia list of Ivy League schools and he's going through them one at a time. It's strange mm. that they felt they needed to have every single goddamn one. Um, and I have... I have suspect that these are actually all just rejection letters, and he's just carrying them around, thinking, "Oh, I got into Harvard." Yeah, which is rejection. Yeah, like he shows them, he shows them to Ben later, and he's like, "This is rejected." You didn't read it. You just assume. No. Yeah, I mean, I I, can't, I kind of get your point. I think again, I think it's a thing that is recognizable, but I think also the fact that he's applying to university. Um, Okay, no, is important. It is important because um, so, he's going, he's defying his dad, right? Yeah. But, but, the dude was accepted into MIT and he lives in the fucking yeah. woods. Is he accepted into MIT? Yeah, like he says later, he says later in the film when he confronts Ben, I got accepted to MIT. Motherfucker, you have never seen a computer in your life. How the hell are you at MIT? I mean, yeah, I mean, they do go into the town and stuff for certain sort of things. Yeah, no, no, you know, but it's not like, like they're completely divorced, no, but, but it's... <laughs> I, know, I know what you mean, but to be honest, I largely I don't have a problem with it because I, I, I kind of like the fact that, oh, you might, because you might also say, oh, well, he's not in the mainstream educational system. You know, he doesn't have the grades. How, you know, how would he, how would he, no, you know, it, be it, able to get it? No, but it's but I kind of like it's... <laughs> the yeah, idea that he, that he's actually, you know, that what Ben has given him is valuable. And again, it's an important tension in the film, whether Ben is a good parent or not. You know, it is valuable that he is really brainy and that he's got, he, he still is able to get accepted into these schools despite he doesn't have the mainstream education. I appreciate, I appreciate the intention. And I think it's a valid intention. But it is stupid. It is not thought out how they presented it. If you did, it, it, it's annoying. That's what it is. It's like it's I, it's poorly thought out. I, I don't, I don't really agree. Like I, 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 MIT, right? Maybe, but largely, I, I don't have a problem with it because to me, it's not like, I mean, there's obviously many things in this film that are sort of very oddball and out of this world. It, you know, it's not among them, in my opinion, in the in this film. And I can and and, and within the context of the film, the way it presents itself, I can go, okay, yeah, whatever. He's an absolute genius, and he's gone into this. Um, you know, despite the fact, and and again, it's important for his character. You know, so mm. I, I, to me, it's not that it's not that inconceivable. May, maybe it is. You know, obviously, it's the generic top universities. Maybe it's slightly implausible. But again, I, I you know, I would rather a film be emotionally worthwhile, which I think this scene does give you, um, and recognizable to an audience, rather than be always very plausible and that was something but you know it's Hitchcock not even big on. it's no. not even plausible it's ham-fisted i think you could have had the same effect with just i got accepted into harvard that i would personally i'd find that believable it's more subtle so you, just, you would just 
I just pick one. I don't understand why he has to go through a list of the letters. It is just showing the audience how clever this dude is. It's assuming your audience is not going to get it. I don't like it because it's almost talking down to your audience. I I, I don't know, because I think... I, I kind of like it, like it in terms of the fact that he's, it's not fluked, if you know what I mean. Like, he's just he's just brilliant. Like, he just... Everyone would accept it. Yeah. And maybe, again, and maybe that is a bit silly as an idea that everyone would accept him. But, I, I, again, I, I don't really have a problem with it. I think it does emphasize it uh, well, in my opinion, but... Okay. Yeah. Again, uh, but again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't die on that on that hill. I get, especially some some of his scores are maybe a bit unrealistic. But okay, um, I, 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 it just makes me laugh every time he has that big list of letters. And for some moral quandary, Captain Fantastic uh, gets his kids in a a big van called Steve, um, and he says, "We're gonna go to we're gonna go to." Uh, we're going to go to George Bluth's house and we're going to steal my wife's dead body. Yeah, because she, to be clear, was a Buddhist or a practicing Buddhist, not, you know, yeah, um, and wanted to be cremated. And her father-in-law is basically insisting she has a Christian. Yeah. So she's from a very waspy background. Um, I was watching this with a friend of mine and she pointed something out, which also made me really annoyed for the rest of the film. But we will get to that when we get to the funeral. Um, right, okay. We now get to the point in the film where we enter capitalism. There is a montage of yes. Ben driving through capitalism as he sort of proclaims to his kids how mm. cons you know consumerism is bad. Um, yeah. It, and this is something I want to get into. Um, ben has definitely benefited from consumerism. Um, they say that his wife... Oh, she's called Leslie. That's her name. Um, Leslie his wife was a lawyer and presumably Ben worked in similar circles as well beforehand. So he's, he's well-educated um, and he and his wife worked in a very uh, potentially very corporate background. And as I say before, he's got a safety net. Um, should we get into a discussion of this dude is sort of a hypocrite. Is it intentional that he is? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think we could get into that. I think, I think it is, See, I I get that there were there were lawyers and everything. I think it's you know that part of it. <clears throat> I actually don't think is a hypocritical part. I think that's like no, I oh, agree. They were in there. Yeah, they, they they were in there. They were in the the midst of capitalism. And they you know they they hated it. And they, no, you know they but... could really understand it. And yeah. then and then I think you know obviously you took the part about he has the safety net. Or whatever. Yeah, he's but again. Living... He really he he really doesn't like jack and he doesn't want to take his money it's the contradiction of the fact that he has these principles but when it comes down to it when it comes down to his wife's life he is willing to shirk but them that's what i mean it, it doesn't actually matter that he doesn't like um <laughs> jack he doesn't like george blue it's um yeah. he knows that he can actually take risks with his family in this radical living because he knows he has a fallback we see he has a fallback because he uses the fallback i'm calling him a hypocrite because he's actually living quite a bourgeois fantasy of slumming it when he's really not he doesn't have a need to do it this man he's got a very academic view on how consumerism and capitalism has failed him coming from a very privileged background and that's sort of why i bring up the lack of minorities in this film we never actually see anyone who is poor or in a marginalized community that has been 
um, oppressed by larger society. Like, Ben is preaching from a very academic standpoint in the sense of that he's all theory and no experience. Yeah, and I, I think the film wants you to to kind of know that, that he is a theory guy, he is an academic guy. Mm. And, and, and you know, obviously, it's, you know, Plato's Republic, of course, he values sort of the practical skills as well. But I think he is a guy who is, you know, obsessed with the ideal. Yeah. Um, you know, the pure, you know, a priori ideal. But here's the thing, we um, are still meant to sympathize with him. And I... Yeah. And I don't think this film gets it right, because I... I I can't exactly describe it. It's very much a feeling I get. He is frustrating to watch, but it's still that we are being invited to see him as not necessarily the audience avatar, but we're meant to relate to him. And it's interesting you bring up that potentially he's a hip, uh, you know, this conversation about whether or not he's a hypocrite, because there is an interview where Matt Ross and Viggo Mortensen actually say they would quite like to live how Ben lives. Um, mm. Viggo Mortensen says, I wish I could bring up my kids this way. So... Yeah, I, I'm yeah. not entirely sure if they which, are fully aware of... Um... Which is also... But it, it also should be noted, it does reflect Matt Ross's own life experience. He was kind of... Grew up in an alternative living situation where he was in the commune. Um, and things like that. So, you know, it does have the sheds of, of a real... Um, I didn't know that. Life. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. no, it's it's autobiographical at many points. Noam Chomsky Day, which we'll get to later, is Please. autobiographical. Okay, oh, I didn't know that. Um, oh, yeah, that's so interesting. The film is very autobiographical for him. So okay. he's drawing from those elements. But even though he might say, oh, you know, idealistically, I would like to live in a situation like this, I think the film realizes, you know, the film's point is he's got this very academic view that's mm. actually not tethered to reality which i think is part of the the film's kind of ending yeah. which we'll talk about later um but i think i think that's kind of what it is it's it, it, it's that he has this academic view of it and that it's 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 wrong basically but, at the end of the day it, it's see i because... it's tricky because i would like to come to this with ironically for this the idea of this podcast i'd like to come to this with a comparison and i've always actually meant to watch mosquito coast uh, which is a very mm. similar premise of, you know, a guy with high ideals tries to rebuild a, build a new society, and it sort of goes haywire. I don't know if that's what the film is intending. I don't know if it's actually succeeding. The philosophical side of it comes across as quite sloppy, and I find Ben a frustrating character to watch, and I don't fully empathize with him. Yeah, that I I I, I take that because I mean again, especially upon immediate watching i do do find ben frustrating especially that he's very he's very blasé and he's very arrogant yeah as a character and again and, and again you feel that it's unjustified because he he's so academic and for someone who harps um, on about terror you know the control of capitalism and fascism he's actually quite totalitarian in the way he looks after his family yeah yeah, yeah. and that is exactly what his thing is that is you know in the way that's the that's the dynamic that the film's about yeah and i read this thing I, I thought it was in the Mark Kermode review, but I couldn't find it. And it's the scene, I think this kind of relates because it's this section of the film that we're talking about. When they're on the bus, mm. they talk about um, Lolita. Yeah, I've, having, I've got this had, in my notes. Yeah, sorry, go. Yeah. Well, he's, he, you know, one of his children, he has... One of the interchangeable, one of the interchangeable gingers, yeah. Yes, yes. But it's a really good scene, in my opinion. And he makes her talk about what he what she finds interesting about the book. Um you know, and really makes her pin down on what it is. And she describes about how he 
you know, uh, the protagonist, if you don't, Lolita is kind of about, in a way, you know, about a child molester, essentially. But it's oh, it is, yeah. From, from yeah, from you, his so you, you're meant to, yeah, um, Lolita's interesting because it's Humbert trying to almost convince you that he's not wrong in the way he sees things. So you, you do empathize, yeah. you're made to empathize with him, and there are moments in the book where you suddenly catch yourself going, no, this is a man talking about a child. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that, <clears throat> in a way, and I think, you know, I'm not the first person to note this, it's meant to parallel the way that Ben, obviously not in an as extreme context, but... Well, he does let his kids walk uh, around. Ben, that ben. it's true. Um, probably not for his sexual pleasure, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but um, the way that he kind of parallels his parenting, because mm. he clearly, and this thing really, really came across to me that this time I watched it, he clearly has a really, really deep love and need for his family he needs to be a family guy that's just his thing it's what he was built for yeah like and i i, I think that's like one of the you're laughing but i think this really no no because i was just thinking of thing. just thinking of peter griffith oh because it's a family <laughs> yeah, guy yeah. Just... <laughs> that's literally where that comes from that's literally where the friend i know i know but... <laughs> yeah i know it's just yeah yeah I, sorry i've I, I disassociated my brain <laughs> the, the meme um was... but um but yeah, he's a he's a family guy, um, yeah. but he's not a screwball. He is, you know, he's a dictator basically. Yeah, he, he's he's got these massive militant ideals, and it's the balance between this love, mm. this tender love that he has, and his kind of dictatorial ideals of how he thinks people should live, and that this these mm. the, the way these intertwine. And I would actually say this kind of call me pretentious. It goes, <laughs> um, it it it. it kind of ties in with the title of the film that he's this fantastic guy mm. who's you know this fantastically loving you know that, which is what his um wife in sort of this ghostly vision tells him you know that he's his her fantastic man oh yeah he hallucinates and, about and, his dead wife um giving him compliments. yeah <laughs> and and the other side of it is that he's captain because he's this guy who's leading this big troop he calls himself the captain of this bus as he's as he's driving it yeah he does you know, and it's he? it's it's that tension between being captain and being you know you know captain dad and the, and the fantastic dad and it's you know and you can kind of see how both those things are valuable in mm. terms of he's, he's very idealistic and this is actually good in a lot of ways but he's dictatorial and then he's also got this tenderness and it's kind of finding the the balance between that, that i think the whole film is about and that that lolita scene sort of you know it's it's priming you to view Ben in that way, to to view characters at large in that way, because I think this also applies to um, Jack, the the, the father-in-law character, yeah. who you know we'll probably talk about a bit more later. But you know what? That is a really good breakdown because um, I have literally a page of hate about this scene, and now you've actually pointed out that it's an. In I still don't like it, but <clears throat> now that you actually point out that it's a good character, it's more of a character study in how he's quite controlling of his kids and he, you know he actually forces them into situations they're not comfortable with in a way um yeah definitely yeah um the one problem i had with it is i find it a bit weird that they chose lolita in particular and i could argue this going back to my idea about they've chosen a book that the audience knows is controversial maybe not necessarily why and you're sh they're showing that he's quite a maverick for discussing this quote-unquote controversial book um and i did actually write yeah. down are they drawing parallels between ben and humbert um mm. now i have not read lolita 
Um, I've yeah. Um, we saw the film adaptation a while back. Um, also with Frank Langella. Yeah. Yes, yeah. the Adrian Lyne one, not That's the Stanley yeah. Kubrick one. No, yeah. um, no which may, maybe we'll talk about in a later episode. I, don't know, um, I would actually be really happy going about my life not ever watching Stanley Kubrick's Love Eater. Thank you very much. No, um, no, I, sorry, I, sorry I, meant, I meant Adrian Lyne. Oh one. yeah, no, yeah, I think because it's a film yeah, we both find interesting. Yeah, I think that could be quite interesting. Um, but but yeah, to, I, I don't know enough about Lolita to um, comment on it, but I think that is an interesting point to make. Um, another point I have to yeah, do is, um, but... this is just a thing for me, um, there's a bit where he speaks Chinese and his pronunciation is awful. I couldn't even pick up what he was saying. Oh. Yeah, this is quite frequently happens when yeah, uh, <laughs> it's not a problem with this film. Speaking a foreign yeah. language for one sec, you know, for one bit of the film, you yeah. know, I heard the German section Wednesday apparently was also very terrible <clears throat> to the to the ears of actual German speakers. Germans, uh, but... Germans no like. Um, yeah, there's also a couple of things I pick. Um, he <laughs> he's a little bit homophobic. He describes sex as an act between a man and a woman only. <laughs> Uh, I, did, I did. I did. I did think that in in, yeah. in my meme, my meme thought. <laughs> I mean, all I'm saying is, you know, blonde head, blue eyed, go over hammer of four symbol. Sex is essentially between a man and a woman. Training for the race war. What more can I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got extreme political ideology to go with it. I mean, you know, come on. So, so, do we want to talk about? Um, Noam Chomsky Day. Noam Chomsky Day. Very, very important. Um, so, I do have a slight story before we get into this. Oh. I have been... I haven't mentioned Noam Chomsky, but I went to an address he gave. Um, mm -hmm. The... Some, I know, some creepy organization in Durham um, was hosting him. Noam Chomsky goes to Durham. Oh, well, he's too old. Um, but I was in a... You know, I was in a hall where they had... You know, he was going to be projected onto the screen... And I ran to my Chinese teacher because the Chinese department, actually, sorry, the language department um, thought he was going to be talking about linguistics because um, he is primarily a linguist. Um, yeah. And I think they're actually really disappointed because all he talked about was the Iraq war. And I said, oh, Laoshi, why are you here? And she pointed and I turned around and they got the screen working. Noam Chomsky has not aged well over the pandemic. My dude appeared on the screen. Oh, God. Like the fucking face of God coming down to Moses. Big beard, big nose, just staring at the screen. And I jumped. I literally went, Whoa! Oh, my God. Yeah. It's Uncle No. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't say I've had this pleasure of um, having seen a recent Noam Chomsky. He looks like Gwyn from Dark Souls, the final boss of Dark Souls. Noam Chomsky is the final boss of Dark Souls. <laughs> 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 he, like, he's quizzing you on like linguistic terms and, 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 and political developments. <laughs> if, oh my god, if I ever go to a debate, I'm just going to yell, Memorize the attack patterns! Dodge roll! Notice the iframes! You will be quicked out. <laughs> Quicker than probably anyone has been kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. They're not going to catch me because I've memorized their attack patterns. You would simply avoid being moved out. <laughs> you, would, you, you would literally dodge. You would look, physically dodge. Look, I did the maths. I am in, I think, around 12,000 people on the planet who have beaten the Bloodborne DLC final boss. There are not many people who have done it, and I am one of them. 
Um, wow, look at you. Look at you. Bigging, you, bigging yourself up here on, the, on, this, on this podcast. There you go. What a pro gamer you are. That's why I started this thing. <laughs> you just, you just, you just, every episode, this is just going to be a slight reference to how good you are with video games. Just like, yeah, beat, I beat Dark Souls 3 in like three days. Man. You know, just, you know, Dude, there's people it didn't beat, take me that long. There's people who beat that shit in 30 minutes. Um, anyway, let's go back to talking about the, I know it's weird. Uh, let's go back to talking yeah. about the proest gamer of all time, Noam Chomsky. <laughs> yes. No, no, no gamer and streamer. So. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was on a big, he was on a big screen. So, I mean, yes, no, no, day. You had thoughts. Um, why does it, it exist? Because I, even though I have been jump scared by Noam Chomsky, I don't actually know much about his political theories. I know a lot about his linguistic theories. It was a thing I, mm -hmm. I, I took a seminar on that. Um, you have studied politics and you have studied philosophy. Yes. Are you? I, 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 I honestly don't know a lot about Noam Chomsky politically. Um, he, you know, he's had he's had a long experience again. He's like an, analyzing U.S. politicians. You know, I mean, he was he was there analyzing Kennedy. Um, so and he's still doing stuff now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but he's been, a lot of his big issues have been stuff like the Iraq War mm. and. Um, especially like lobbying um you know like you know lobbying groups he wrote a book called like you know who really yeah i think it was something along the lines of like who who um, really ha who, who really controls the america or yeah, know, something he, like he's that got, he's had a lot of discussions uh, about the military industrial complex yeah that, um, that sort of things but i i can't say i'm i know that he's you know quite left-wing especially for america but i i yeah. don't know yes with the specifics which is sort of why i'm confused at this scene because ben Viggo Mortensen, my dude, my 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 main man, um, Captain Fantastic, says that Noam Chomsky has improved the lives of people. And from, again, I'm coming from a, a very uneducated point here. So if anyone's listening to this and feels invested enough to comment, please do. We need the uh, we need the traction. Um, the only people I can think that Noam Chomsky's you know changed the lives of in terms of practical output are linguists studying the development of human language. Um, I know he comments a lot on politics, but I don't... I, I find it weird that they couldn't have chosen someone else. Um, well, they... I think it's important to note they note that he's a humanitarian. He is, yes. Um, so presumably... I don't know. Have, maybe I should have done research into this prior to the podcast, but it is what it is. We, we've been very maybe, busy, yeah. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think he does, you know is involved in efforts to you yeah. know, improve people's lives. Um, and obviously, probably Matt Ross would argue that the ideas that he's inspired in politicians in whatever has helped shape a healthier, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in what you were saying discourse. earlier about this Noam Chomsky thing actually coming from life. Um, yeah. Um, um, again, I it, it is just the thing of Matt Ross. Yeah, I so he didn't expand much on it. He was like... Mm. I think that's because he was like as well. He was like, I think that's the thing my family made up. He yeah. was like, he wasn't sure whether it actually was a thing people, other people celebrated yeah. across you know any any Porsche, any <laughs> societies. But he had a very bohemian lifestyle growing up. He yeah like lived in mm. commune kind of setting, and they did celebrate Noam Chomsky Day. Um, so again, that might slightly bridge of why you go. That's really weird because often, <laughs> quite often, when you go. Oh, that's a weird detail. Like you're yeah. watching like a biopic, and you'll be like, "That's weird." It's Why actually because it comes from life. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, because it actually just um, happened. Which 
I guess is kind of the case with this film to some extent. Because you're right, it is sort of weird. Especially he picks a guy who is, yeah, known a lot for political commentary and linguistic studies and not just solely humanitarianism and yeah. also is a living you know you do yeah. really thought you could have find um, someone over the course of history who's just you know i mean the obvious thing like kudos like the obvious thing could have been like oh it's mother Teresa day or it's Karl marx or... it's gandhi or it's Karl marx yeah. day, or, some, or like abraham lincoln something like kudos for the film for doing that but i kind of suspect this is also another case of we're trying to make these people sound clever what i will say um because we've actually touched on some character stuff here. From a screenwriting perspective, this is quite a good scene that shows that Ben is a massive bully. My man yes. enjoys bullying children, and he enjoys yes. getting his other children to inadvertently bully a child. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so what you're talking about there is obviously the discussion they have with Relian, uh, who Relian kind of protests the fact that they celebrate um, Noam Chomsky Day. He's... You know, he you know he kind of questions why do you celebrate it like a holiday? Why don't we celebrate Christmas like everyone else? Um, basically, and yeah, and and again, I actually think this is quite a well directed scene in terms of Viggo Mortensen's performance and and, and in fact the actor playing Relian, who uh, name escapes me right now, but he also was an it. Mm. Um, uh, but I think the performance is quite good here, and you, you're right, they do have this element that he is a bully, and that is, like I say, it's really I think it's a well directed scene done with the framing. Like, Aurelian's kind of alone, and Ben, the way he's often framed in conjunction with the rest of the family, it's kind of like, even though Ben is the only one actually arguing, he is the one, Yeah, you know, he, he's using the force of the family to go like, you know, you're being weird against the family. <laughs> he's, You know, he's, what are you doing? Yeah. He's like explaining your ideas, he, but it's, it's kind of condescending. He sort of reminds me of those assholes who weaponize the idea of free speech, because he's getting, he's... Relian, for context, says, why can't we celebrate Christmas? Um, to yeah. which Ben says, why would you rather celebrate the life of a fantastical elf? Which is a bit of a, a, fict a, fict a fictitious <laughs> elf. Which is, one, a bit of a misargument Because that's not actually why a lot of people celebrate Christmas. Um, so a dude is willing to have a ceremony where he kills a, a deer and has his son eat it. Um... And not yeah. a ceremony which actually outside of America and England is still, I mean, in Christian countries outside of America and England is still mm. quite a, a, you know, a spiritual or a, quite a meaningful event for people. Yeah. And it's not about the fucking elf, you dumb idiot. Um, also, he's not an elf. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, um, also, it should be noted, there's a comment right before this in a different scene mm. where um, he tells his family not to judge uh people in america for being fat and not and he's yeah. saying we don't we don't judge people in this family and then one of the girls replies except, except christians. christians it's it's weird it's like that reddit early internet atheist days you know when people um yeah, yeah. people who would eventually become nitwits like sargon of akkad and all those weird creepy right-wing mm -hmm. folks began by doing atheist debunked where they would do the most basic shit like um you know, uh, Earth is obviously flat. Uh, Earth is obviously round. Uh, how could Bible? How could flood seven days? Sort of thing. Um, and that's sort of what this reminds me of. And it does point to the fact that Ben is a bully. But going back to the original scene, he yep. does say, "Would you like to debate this?" And then the whole family comes on saying, 
come on, yeah, do you've got any point? You know, we'll we'll be willing yeah. to change. You, and, you, use your words, the little kid says. Yeah, and it's not, you know, he's got funny words. Yeah, um, and it's not a nice scene because as a parent, he is in the power. He is powerful here, and he is. Yeah, he's actually shaming him. He, there's a big element yeah, of shame. He, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think that that's kind of again, he's taken on his captain persona mm. there. He's Not... being this military dictator, kind of yeah, like you know, okay, it's, it's, you know, it's it's kind of like you know Mao asking for criticisms of the government, <laughs> sort of, you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, um. And and again, I think that is quite deliberate, especially because this leads him into the arms later of the later in the film to Jack. Yes. You know, because he's he's fed up with the way that his father does yeah. treat him and treats the family, um, um, and obviously treated the mother. Yeah. It's also worth pointing out during this scene, um, earlier in the film, Ben throws a tantrum about a diner not serving real food. Like he says, it's all yeah. processed, yada, yada. And then he buys a fake-ass looking cake from a supermarket. Um, he also steals a bunch of stuff from a supermarket. He also well. steals a bunch of stuff from a supermarket, <laughs> including weapons, uh, which he arms his children with. Is something like I, I do feel something like that is deliberate, where he is... Mm. There are juxtapositions in his actions. Um, he also, sometimes he does come across as almost uh, like he's got um, BPD. I think it's bipolar disorder. Um, he has very... That's what his wife has. That is what his really wife did. has. But also Ben's got very erratic mood swings. Um, it's quite it's quite unnerving at times. Mm. I was going to say, he, and he does have that, you're right, that element that he is a bully. And he likes to show off like this because, mm. again, when we in in in, in another scene, um, I think it actually takes place before that, where he's talking to um, Harper, who is his sister. No, it's that's later. It's immediately after this. Yeah. Okay. Immediately yeah. after. Again, so kind of flows in. He does a similar thing where he kind of makes a presentation of how stupid um, their, children their children are in comparison yeah. to his. He he likes to do that as a thing. He has that kind of right. This is this is my moment. Mm. I'm going to make a show of my kind um, of dictatorial, which is which nature. is kind. So yeah. So for listeners, for context, um, the next scene, Ben they sort of travel to the suburbs, uh, where they meet up with um the villain from One Division, and Greg Hefley's yes, dad from Diary of a Wimpy Kid, um, who both yep. have and together they have. But together they have produced children who look exactly like Sid from Toy Story. Um, yeah, um, true. And Ben takes absolute delight in humiliating these children by saying, "Do you know mm. what the Book of Rights?" He basically says, um, "The conflict in this scene or the setup is that um, Harper, who is Ben's sister, I got the sense that it was his sister-in-law, but again, I, it's something I I, I I I figure out at some point yeah. in the film and immediately forget." Um, because they're invited to the funeral so at least um george bluth has good terms with them so the conflict here is that harper doesn't believe ben is raising his kids right um yes. and he to prove that he is he brings um one of the the sid boys and one of his generic young blonde children and asks mm. them each to describe what the bill of rights is um and obviously because they've been set up as quite stupid children um sid does not know what this is um he sort of mumbles his words and the blonde child can recite basically recite it by heart and also regurgitate what it means um yeah it's a cruel scene because he's basically he pulls a child you know he this dude's about 14 he pulls mm. him out in front of his parents 
basically humiliates him and then shows off his own kid. But also we know that the Cash children aren't very street smart. They're not very emotionally intelligent. Yeah. They don't yeah. actually know how to live their life because in the next scene, they go mm -hmm. to a trailer park where Bodovan tries to flirt with Starlight from the boys. Yes, yes. This, I should also note, this is, a, I think, again, testament, actually, to this film. I think it's a good part. This cast is really good, and it's got a lot of good discoveries. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of actors who've got, um, got George McKay, brilliant, you know, Aaron Boriati, brilliant. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of people go on to do good things from this film, as well as established actors as well, of course. But. Um, my note for this scene is, a girl like this would never watch Star Trek, because... Um, there's a bit where Bodovan is lying about what his parents do and he brings up Dr. Spock yeah. who was a child psychologist and um, I don't do they even name who the character um, the, the character again it's the problem with female characters in this Claire. film Claire, Claire. Is, okay is right name. but female characters yeah, in this I, was film... like, I, I remember I remember her okay. I, I quite like her as a character this is but, actually going to go to a point that I was going to make yeah, okay. but, yeah, you, but it's sort of like female characters in this film are more props for the development of the male ones but she says oh I love Star Trek uh, and I've just got nah, that you'd never get anyone like that. Um, <laughs> to be fair, I didn't take that as a genuine comment. But yeah. like, the way she acts it, I don't think she's being serious. Oh, she's, she's sort of trying just trying to, to flirt. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's trying to flirt, and because she goes, okay, this guy's clearly an awkward nerd, but I kind of like him. Yeah, true. Um, and and I, she does, she genuinely doesn't think he's talking about, you know, Doctor <laughs> yeah. Spock. She's thinking about yeah. Spock from Star Trek, because obviously everyone does stop Spock from Star yeah. Trek. And I think she's trying um, to get in on the on, on like, yeah. oh, I like it too, sort of get in with him. So I'm like, is you know, she, but it obviously comically yeah. goes wrong. Is she meant to be trailer park trash? Do you say? I hate to use that. I hate, I don't like using that term as it is, but you know that stereotype. Um, uh, I, I I I don't know. She's obviously trailer parky, but I I, I mean they, they don't they don't make yeah. an attempt to make her trashy. I don't think. No. Maybe the, maybe the way she, arguably the way she looks. Because like, like you do have that stereotype of people who either live in you know live in trailers and poodle around, or they could just be holiday makers. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm just curious because I'm not. I sort of picked up vibes that maybe she is, but they're not fully committing to it. Um, I also think I think it's something we probably as people who <laughs> as as uh, Britons we probably wouldn't quite understand who those people are. In, Jolly in good show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like uh, you know, it's yeah. a bit different. Um, you know. <sighs> That's sort of a very American thing, living in a trailer, you know, yeah. like that. But it's, it's quite, you know, it's... but the main thing about this is, um, Bodovan's obviously got a, a crush on um, Claire. I, I, yeah, I, I actually realised this is quite shitty of me because I can't remember any of the women's names. I am one. I'm bad with names, and they actually do not have much agency in the film. They are not central mm. characters, so I don't actually get much. They don't have much screen time, and I don't really feel the characters, so I don't clock their names very easily. Um, mm -hmm. So the main takeaway is uh, Bo, in his eternal wisdom, has a little thing for this girl, and he goes up to her mum and yep. says, I would like to marry your your daughter, mm -hmm. because that's how he thinks the world works, yeah. because I guess the stereotype is he learnt it all from a book. Um, yeah. And this is the first time he's been attracted to someone who isn't his sister. But yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah, yeah. I, I think it I mean, it definitely gets that across and i i have to say this is uh, the film is a comedy drama it should be noted it's not just a drama it's a comedy drama has a few funny scenes it, it, it's mostly kind of well you know kind of just in you know inhale worthy kind of jokes mostly but i uh, this scene where he poses in my opinion it's laugh out loud funny 
I really find Sid funny when he when he says about you know that his you, you know he's proposing in front of the mother and he says you know <laughs> you're you know you're you know I have penetrated your daughter yeah daughter. that's um yeah you know or you know I hope you know I, have penetrated I hope to penetrate her yeah um yeah which I I know what they're trying to do here um it's kind of it's a it's a it's a decent trope to go off um i just kind of find it a bit i find it annoying because they set up that this dude is so clever and yet he's also such an idiot in this regard um yeah i know it's meant to show a failing on um on ben's part ben. for not educating him well enough i just personally i feel it's quite ham-fisted I'm okay with it because I guess it might be the way you see it. Because I do see this as a comedy drama. Like it's it's yeah. it's got comedy elements of it as well. So I when anything's comedy, I'm I'm okay. I'm in terms of plausibility and all of that sort of thing. I am a little. I'm always a bit have a bit more leeway. But I, especially when it's specifically trying to be comic, I yeah. have a bit more leeway as well. And the scene is trying to be comedic. Um, and so I, I, even though, yeah, okay, right, this whole penetrate comment is a bit maybe ham-fisted and the fact that he would propose it, no, like no, this I find, is kind I, of like... I agree, I like the scene in isolation, it's but it he sort of feels unplausibly stupid. Yeah, I, I think especially, you know, with women, they do establish earlier he has an encounter with women, he, he literally doesn't say anything. Yeah, it, it's very... It's very Big Bang Theory. It, it actually it feels like a scene from the Big Bang Theory because he doesn't make eye contact with them. He sort of got puts his head down and acts like a bit of a, a goof um and then he yeah. says something stupid um which you're... i mean for me works but i uh, understand that maybe if you kind of think it's a bit over the top in, I, in this, in this. I think the problem for me as well with this film i'm not i'm not sure what this film is trying to be i don't think the film knows what it's trying to be and i'm interested that you have a much better takeaway on both those things because um, for me this is a thing it's a, it's a clear sign of his lack of independence about how he's not actually prepared to kind of flee the nest as he's been wanting to like you know when he wants to go to university things like that and as Bode even tells him you know in a in a scene as uh tells ben yeah in a, in a scene that's uh maybe the next scene or the scene afterwards sorry if i'm skipping ahead um he tells ben i don't know anything about anything unless it comes from a book yes and again so that's obviously establishing a, a core trait and this will go to you know, um, the end. The ending of the film. This, this all kind of this, this independence of both of them, him being able to be socialized. Yeah, is something that kind of is carried through to completion by okay. the end. Yeah, uh, in my opinion. But... Um, and I think you're right about this being a comedy. This is definitely the lighter bit of the film before we get into the more intense melodrama of the funeral. Because um, there's also a bit where we see Aragorn's uh, dongle. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a. It's just we the penis. Everyone man has. Every man has one. Classic line. Yeah. Classic line. Which again, I, I I I kind of I don't mind the joke, but you kind of like this one could have probably been a twelve A without that. Yeah, I sort of suspect maybe. Do you think they put that in the film to boost the rate? Um, boost the um the rating. That that that'd be a strange. Um, yeah, it would, wouldn't it? With. Yeah, yeah they mean, usually like to have the rating be lower because yeah. a, a wider audience can see it. That being um, said, they also, there's not much reason to do that. They did also but. open the film with like a deer getting its throat slit. Um. Yeah, but that's 12A. The Dark Knights are 12A. Oh, right, okay. So, you know, you know it's kind of... 
Well, that's going to be important for any sixth former listening to this discussing audience and spectatorship. Now, I to so. segue into the scene of the funeral, I have a quote from my friend who was watching this. Um, I would also like to point out, most of the notes I've actually been making aren't mine, they're hers. She was very adamant. Right, 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 I, right, right. I was half tempted to have her on this because she was adamant about hating this movie. Um, okay. Yeah. But uh, the quote is, red suit, not crunchy. Um, because Ben and his family of... Um, uh, Aryan children break into a funeral. Yes. Yeah. Th their mother's. Their funeral, mother's funeral. Um, because it yeah. is revealed that uh, Mother Darling, in all her infinite Buddhist wisdom, uh, wanted to be cremated and flushed down the nearest public toilet. Um, mm. Now here's the thing. Um, Mummy dearest uh, has been embalmed, and embalmed bodies don't burn, at least not very well. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of fucked. <laughs> and th this is such a this is such a cinema sin ding thing, but yeah, um, yeah, no. But my friend pointed this out to me, and it sort of ruined. Like, I sort of got really grumpy thinking about it for the rest of the film. But to be honest, I yeah. don't. To be fair, I agree with you. I do overlook things like that a lot of the time. It's just in this case where I I don't like this movie that it's just. I can't bring it's myself to overlook. Long. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a little niggling thing that becomes a bigger like there's a lot of films I like which have that problem. It's just mm. when I don't like the film, stuff like that starts to get at me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, I agree. I it was kind of like I mean we talked about this um before you know the creator that was a bit like that. I like generally just didn't like the creator. No. And that's I was probably a bit harsh on you know the way certain things unfolded yeah. i was like well that wouldn't happen or well, that looks stupid I'm like yeah okay but in yeah. most other action movies i'd probably say that's all right you know <laughs> yeah, so i, yeah. I, I kind of get that I'm, I'm but actually that. i yeah. think it's an interesting you've drawn in, you brought it into parallel with the creator because i think both these films have a similar problem where they're sort of pseudo intellectual and because of that weird little minor gripes like why the fuck is this noam chomsky day um embalmed bodies don't burn or with the creator like why did all the mm. robots convert to Buddhism? Um, it's sort of just a bit like, uh, yeah, but why? It, it, it sort of just niggles at yeah. you. Yeah, um, yeah, I understand that. I, I do find it interesting to talk about like as being like a pseudo intellectual uh, film. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, I, I think it's a film text. Maybe, maybe it is, but mm. um, yeah, I, I'm just never. I'm, I'm just not like a huge on value judgments like that. Yeah. Just because, like, I think, I think, I think, very, you know, certain films can be very intelligent, which you wouldn't, which you wouldn't think are, if you know what I mean. No. Um, so I'm, I'm always a bit, but I sort of with the term like calling a film intellectual or not. I call it pseudo intellectual because it's got the trappings of intellectuality. Like it brings up, it names philosophers, it brings up philosophy, but mm. in my opinion, it's quite superficial, um, which bugs me. Yeah. I it just yeah, okay. it, it sort of just, just it annoys me. It almost feels like an upstart. Not actually upstart's the wrong term. It it, it annoys me because it feels like a loud man in a room talking about something he doesn't understand. Yeah, like someone who's watched a couple of YouTube videos on Marxism and whatever, and then starts talking about it like he's yeah, you know, like he studied it. What I'm saying yeah, is, I, I, I kind of understand. Yeah, that. what I'm saying is, I do not like this film because I recognize so much of myself in the film, and thus I am filled with such self-loathing that I do not like this movie. <laughs> I'm not Matt Ross. I'm not Matt Ross. I'm not, I'm not ben. <laughs>
<laughs> I just need to accept that Captain Fan. I am Captain Fantastic. Yeah, he's literally you. Yeah, he's literally you. I played Disco Elysium right. once, and I. F- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and suddenly you're Ben Cash. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I kind of get it. Um, although I I do have to say that I think you are you are an academic person, and oh. you are familiar with these things. So you you go, oh Lolita, that's really obvious. That's yeah. really obvious. I know people who've seen this film. They go, I have no idea what Lolita is. I've that never is heard fair. of Lolita. Yeah, I, I've never heard of half these things they talk about. These authors. Okay. Um, and especially, I I mentioned to my cousin who he he kind of he was in the room with me, mm. um, watching it for part of the thing, and they were talking about communist ideas and things like that, and which. Yeah. You know, maybe to someone who studied it, you feel, oh, this is really superficial and kind of weird. You know, you know, kind of just really superficial and doesn't work. But he goes, like, he watches it and he's just going, and I told him it was kind of a, you know, it had been nominated for an Oscar and yeah. things like that, you know, on certain awards. And he was like, oh, why is it all, all, you know, all these really strange films with really sort of strange intellectual things? What, you know, huh. why are they the ones always that get the awards? You know, what we have discovered, dear someone listener, who's is not into film. What we've discovered, dear listener, is that I have had my Anton ego moment where I realized that. I am too much of a critic, and I need to let art be art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, you're, too, you're too fancy for your own, your own good. You're too fancy for your own good. You can't love the common man's film, Captain Fantastic. <laughs> no, no, no. I love trash, um, and I love high art. I do not like this awkward blend of both. Get it out of my <laughs> sight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to say, I do one thing I like about this scene, which always makes me laugh, is that the priest giving the eulogy names the dogs, but not the children. I will like, hands down, yes. that is genius. I fucking love that. <laughs> that is good. Um, yeah, that is good. So, at this point, we have sort of entered. I don't know if we're going to slap on the um, free act structure onto this, we're definitely at the climax of Act Two, heading into Act Three. I'm looking at my notes, and the first thing I have is a very excited Sigaross, because Sigaross is doing the music for this, and my friend and I were really excited to spot that. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. I'm not familiar. He is an Icelandic musician who does very lovely music, so I was quite excited to see him here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Should we talk about, kind of, in terms of going to Act 2, the two sort of incidents where which set up um, Ben's kind of emotional fall? Yes. Yeah. As let's... It so I, I think it's, so it's important. So as we're establishing, Relian is in this kind of process of moving away from Ben. Because yeah. he doesn't, he, you know, he really hates, you know, the kind of the way he's been forced into live. And in terms of a really emotional, you know, a really direct sort of emotional cause is that he feels that that lifestyle is ultimately responsible for his mother's suicide. And yes. he blames Ben for that. Um, and so he's moved away. He's, you know, tried, he's trying to live with, um, Jack, his uh, <clears throat> his grandfather, George Bluth, yeah, um, George, George Bluth, yeah, Frank, Frank Langella, <laughs> um, and this in itself, sort of, um, and 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 Ben hates, you know, Ben hates Jack. He's this capitalist, rich yeah. kind of guy. He's, he's sort of the you know, embodiment of. Yeah, he everything. doesn't even know who. He doesn't even know who Noam Chomsky is. Ah, <gasps> he's literally me. Not knowing who Noam Chomsky is before this movie, <laughs> literally. <laughs> Or I got jump scared um, by Noam Chomsky. But yeah, you're right. He's the kind of embodiment of, you know, yeah. the opposite ideology to Ben of kind of being in society. Mm. Which is why it's interesting um, that he absolutely tears Ben a new a-hole. In the in, in Ben's chosen realm of bullying children, 
when he actually comes up against another adult, he is eviscerated. Yeah. He has really deep similarities. And I think there's a, there was an interview that Matt Ross did, and he was talking about the character of um, the Frank Langella character, Jack. And it's sort of the interviewer compares Ben to Jack and says the same goes for Frank Langella's character. Traditionally, he could be seen as the villain, but he's really just the voice of reason. Mm. And then Matt Ross replied, absolutely. The first thing that I said to Frank is that your character is antagonistic towards Vigo, but you're not the antagonist. And no. he loved the idea and wanted to lean into it. Yeah. Which, That's... again, is kind of interesting. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Not one, one of them is not the clear hero. One of them is not the clear villain. Which is... Even though, you know, even yeah. though Ben is clearly our protagonist. Which is kind of why I find this film very frustrating, because I feel like this scene almost does come from a different movie. In a sense, this almost feels like a battle... Not a battle of ideology, but this film seems split between being an ideological-driven film and being an emotional-driven film. So you've got Ben... And they do meet in the middle, occasionally. Yeah. But... I find that it doesn't get the balance right. It doesn't actually have the writing chops to handle being a, um, a thematic film. Mm. And in doing and trying to do that, it's actually losing what I think are actually some very good elements of a character-driven story. That's that's fair enough. I can see that. I yeah. I, I, I saw um, a review by uh, Thomas Flight, who, if you're a film nerd, you probably you might know uh, online, and he sort of said a similar thing. Especially where he talked about, like, you know, it succumbing to the tone of the plot. Um, yeah. When it had quite good character moments, uh, and it doesn't really seem to be able to balance them. Which I can see is a point, in my opinion, with the core characters. Mm. Um, with, you know, with, with Ben, with Jack even, um, and with uh, Bodevin and Relian. Yeah. And even, I have soft spot for Claire as a character. I think she's actually a really nice, um, you know, a really nice kind of okay, yeah. Uh, vignette. But, um, but either way, with those characters, I think is really able to well you know well kind of develop that and kind of match the plot yeah. plot and especially subplot with character de you know development or character um Which, but yeah i, yeah. I point taken uh, you know um, i understand you know and you I, know. I did bring up disco elysium earlier but i was actually really reminded of the climax of that game i'm not going to go into it because it's going to be very complicated but mm. basically throughout the game you've been controlling a man who has woken up as a blank slate and part of that is you can decide who he is both as a person, you know, how he interacts with people and also what he believes in. So there's, it's a very heavy emotional game and also philosophical game. And at the end, you meet basically the culprit of a crime you've been trying to solve throughout the game. And he will critique every single one of those choices you've made. Basically, the climax of the game is very similar in how Harry Dubois, the main character, or Raphael Ambrosius Costo, is called into question like Ben, I just genuinely feel that Disco Elysium got the balance right, which is why I mean this is frustrating because I have seen it done before and now I have a comparison. I can say this is what it felt like it was trying to go for and I don't think it got it. Yeah, you feel it has the makings of a great film, but it isn't. Yeah, if this was a studio film, I'd say it got the studio got its hands on it and tried to make it into a more mainstream road trip mm. film because it is basically a road trip film. Yeah. It's just very strange that it came out of the indie climate because it almost feels like it's not... It, in trying to go for the philosophical elements or the thematic elements, which it doesn't have the chops for, it loses the heart in a way. Going back to that, you know, you're sort of saying it's mainstream eyes and it seems almost more formulaic than the story should mm, be, yeah. you know, in a, in a way. 
um, it feels studio. Just, I just go back to what my cousin said. Yeah. Um, you know, he, you know, when he saw it, he was like, this is so weird. This is so odd. Of course, he was like, of course, this is the type of thing that would get awards. It's so odd and strange. And, and you know, intellectually kind of engaging. Um, granted, he didn't see all of the film. Yeah. But I, I think when, when you are inside the film bubble and you've seen so many kind of weird films and indie films and stuff mm. you can actually kind of be desensitized to it and actually you know there are a lot of aspects of C captain fantastic which actually are quite subversive and actually are quite indie mm. but i would i would still say and and so to viewers who aren't really into that sort of thing they do feel that it is indie they do feel that it's not you know the studio helm sort of thing yeah um but granted it is also it is definitely popular indie yeah, uh, it does. It is a film that made its money back. I mean, it didn't get like box office. You know, it wasn't great box office. It had Viggo Mortensen, who was able to get an Academy Award nomination, so obviously recognition from a mainstream sort of organization. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I think we can often feel that something is less indie than it really is. Yeah, um, because of how many films we've watched. And I think it's actually right. We <laughs> we did get called pretentious snobs, uh, especially in um, mm. sixth form, and we were. We are pretentious snobs. Um, yeah, definitely. Which is odd because of the lineup of films I've actually got chosen for this podcast are very much not pretentious. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think it's right. You're right. Because it's your own internal experience because you're when you're so media literate, mm. you know, it, it is it does change things, definitely. But yeah, you're right. Um, and also I am approaching this from um, the perspective of someone who's trying to be a, a writer or a screenwriter at least. Um, yeah, because you're someone who's interested in the field creatively and mm. as a spectator. You've watched many films that other people wouldn't have, and you also you also clash with it in the way that you're you are actually a very academic person. You're studying anthropology, yeah. you know, um, and you've always been academically inclined, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, intellectually inclined. So then, some of the things which, you know, because your average viewer is nowhere near as academically inclined as you, uh, so yeah. it does feel I think quite different for the broader audience which is you know the most of the people who are going to be watching it yeah know, regardless of that it is an indie that is a really good insight wow um but probably moving on that we should probably get kind of towards <laughs> the ending yes um so just, um, so just to kind of quickly kind of rush to the ending one of the ginger girls falls off a roof trying to kidnap relian um yes uh so again a woman is used as a prop doesn't have agency in the character development of a man so ben has his epiphany of maybe i am a bad dad oh sorry of the audience but the audience you know you know you obviously know what they're saying when 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 she falls off the roof don't do this don't do this don't do this and to those listening yes i did just make an in joke that none of you will get that is the deepest on, on, cut on a publicly no 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 no. Podcast, no, yes. no 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 i'm gonna keep this in because i'm gonna send it to that dude the dude who made that um our, our, our main man he is gonna find that the funniest thing the rest of you have no idea what this is about no just just don't do this don't do this don't do this don't do this oh no 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 don't do this but yes it, it does incite his epiphany because <gasps> you know she doesn't die yeah um and so ben is sort of given a chance to have an epiphany um, yeah um which is that he is going to abandon his kids and drive off without yeah. them so he's going to leave them with jack um and i find yeah, who this... he kind of sees as a better 
you know, better parent at this point than he, yeah. he could be. Or at least like he knows they're gonna he's gonna look after them a bit more. Um yeah. I find it, it in my mind Ben's quite a disgusting character at this point because he actually rather than changing himself, he is more willing to give up his children. So I see this as he's actually quite unwilling to change in a way. He's not willing to change himself mm. to suit his kids, which he actually does later in the film, but he just takes the easy way out. It's like, okay, I'm done. Wash my hands of this problem. I, I think I can see that quality in Ben that he has. I think he's, he's self-hating at that point. He hates himself. Yeah. He doesn't go, I have done something wrong and I need to change the way I live. He goes, I am as a person, as a parent, I am terrible. Mm. I just am like by nature terrible. And I don't deserve my kids. And I just, because I can kind of, and I can just, you know, just from experience, and maybe it's kind of different. I can see people, you know, who I know kind of have that capacity just to hate themselves like that. Mm. And so they just go, I, I'll just remove my situ- myself from the situation. Everyone would be better off without me okay. rather than changing yeah. themselves. Because it comes from out of a genuine sense of self hatred at that point. And so it's yeah. not like that. He's not like it's. A, he's made a critique of himself that he's like, oh, but I can't change myself based on this critique. It's like he genuinely mm. just goes, "I am by nature awful, as, and I can't be around my kids anymore." As someone who's had experience with self-loathing um, in various capacities, I definitely read this much more as, um, well, obviously what I said. I, I get where you're coming from, and I appreciate a lot of it. Might be I just don't like this character. I also, you could say he's also not. He doesn't believe that his kids are actually going to forgive him in a way. Because he definitely... Because mm-hmm. what happens is um, Ben punishes himself by getting rid of his beard and he looks a bit... Uh, yeah. He looks a bit like a goof. Um, yes. And his kids have waited in a hot bus with no air conditioning for God knows how long to jump out at him and say, don't worry, Daddy. We like you. Um, yeah. You don't need to go on a character arc. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's not they don't need to go no, on a character arc. Yeah. But, but of course... Because the thing that... I would say there is a reason they do that. He's not, it's not just he's in such a leave and they've just, oh, dad, I like you. He has a speech towards the end about, you know, talking about their mother and about how he feels he's failed and how much he loves, you know, them and her, especially Relly and Flips. And I think it's actually quite a well composed scene. They're all kind of listening to him, like, dad, don't go away. You're being stupid. Like, but Relly mm. is facing away at that point. He's at, you know, he's like, I've had enough of you. But when he talks about, Leslie, and he talks about how much he loves her and how he wishes she wasn't gone and all of that. Relian turns back around and starts looking. I think it's a really well-directed scene. And um, and so, the, again, it's that fantastic element of him, using my pretentious mm. dichotomy. He, he's, he's now really, you can because he's breaking down, he's almost crying, you know, you can really, really see that, that yeah. element of love that he has, mm. genuine just love yeah. that he has. Um, okay. and that he is kind of going away out of that love and out of his own self-hatred um, and so Relian, you know, flips and so yeah. they're able to see that within him and see they see him as worth redeeming and that's obviously where they come um, and, 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 and follow him, follow him out there Yeah, uh, which I think is an, an, an important thing to, to note and, but, yeah. and actually I actually will say this scene because I always thought, oh this is a bit generic he you know he drives off by himself and he cries and plays sad music yeah and we have the um, the, the but, easiest visual symbol of change in that he changes his hair yeah yeah uh, but, and I, I i still i do have some of those critiques but genuinely when i watched this this time and this is i think other times i had felt genuinely sad when i watched it this is the first time i almost cried watching it 
Oh. It cuts this one shot, which is him driving the bus, and it cuts back to the bus, the, the seats behind him, empty. Yeah, and we've got the sad Sigur Ross music playing. Yeah, and yeah. it really, like, it, like just seeing that shot, like, just that shot, like, almost hmm. surprised just seeing it, because I'm just like, this is a guy who, kind of, and as he just demonstrated in the last scene, has so much love, and he's meant to be a guy who is meant to kind of, you know, lead a family. Yeah. But, and, and it's just what he's meant to do, and it's just clearly what he was kind of built on Earth to do, hmm. but he feels he's failed in that, and he is now alone. And, that, you know, it's literally, you know, his lifestyle. He's on a big bus that's meant to house a bunch of children. Yeah. You know? And now it's alone. There's it, no yeah. one there. It's like it, it, it's so sad. <laughs> like, I, I get where you're coming from, um, and I think it's a very good reading of the text. Um, one thing I will contend is Ben is a loving person. He actually strikes me as one of those. There are certain types of parents who view their children as extensions of themselves. So he doesn't. Yeah. It's a very. It's a common trait of narcissism. Um, so whilst I agree, Ben is narcissists are capable of love. That is a misconception. Yeah. But it is also a form of self-love. Um, and I would actually say Ben fits that quite nicely, especially in how he actually shows off his children. They are very much yeah. more extensions of himself. He uses them to shame other people, and when they don't comply with him, he shames them. Um, yeah. which is why I, I, I would which is why I got a much less favorable reading for Ben because I don't like that. I I actually agree. Um, in terms of that's what it that's what it is, and it is again that dictatorial part of he's kind of, you know, he sees them as him being able to build his perfect ideal, mm. um, and that sort of thing. And I, I and I think that is definitely, um, definitely part of it. And I would kind of agree. And his character arc is the fact that he sees um, kind of moving forward to the ending now that he does yeah. start to see them as individuals. Hmm. Um, because yeah. by the end, um, by the end, he, they decide to live a different lifestyle. Where on he a allows weed farm. Them... Yeah, on a weed farm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on a very stretch. But yeah. he allows them to go to school. Like he allows them to, you know, he's yes, not he lets them be, be independent. Teach them everything. And most, most of all, hmm. Bodovan um, travels to um, Africa. I think it's somewhere on the map. Um, yeah. Does my dude even have a passport? Potentially. Um, Maybe now. Yeah. Maybe now. Um, I actually want to touch... Um, that's an interesting idea about him giving the kids agency, and I want to touch on that in a bit. Um, mm -hmm. So just to fill... Uh, just for folks who haven't seen the film, in between um, the family gets back together, they go off to the cemetery, they dig up mum, uh, they have a bit of a weird bit where they're all sort of stroking their mum, and the dead embalmed corpse looks more healthy than any of these children. Um... That's true. Yep. <laughs> they, they, they look, <laughs> yeah. they are very sickly That's children. True. Uh, yeah. There's a bit where a doctor says these are the healthiest children I've ever seen. No, no, they are not. <laughs> they are. These children scary. live in like the Catskill Mountains. They go out mountain climbing, hunting deer, and they are pasty as all get out. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, so then they burn mum's embalmed body, uh, singing Sweet Child mm. of Mine um, in a scene that looks a lot like Midsummer. Yeah, yep. and was probably the most memed scene by us in class. Yes, uh, because uh, teenagers are incapable of emotional sincerity, and this is a very sincere scene, and it is funny as fuck, because they are just dancing also, around this burning body. Yeah, and it's Sweet Child of Mine, and it's like a weird, you know, yeah. remix of it, and it's very strange. 
Um, they... But you know what? After we memed it that hard, you know, I read Mark Commode's review, you know, in preparation <sighs> for this. It said, he said that scene moved him to tears. I mean, I... The sweet child of mine, the song, he said it moved him to tears. I cried as well because I was laughing too much. Um, and then they inconvenience some poor janitor by flushing mum's ashes down the toilet. Um, yep. someone's gonna have to clean that. Off the airport. Um, that's gonna, yeah, they flush it down in an airport. Um, airport toilets are not very durable. Yep. That's gonna block up the drain. Yep. Some poor guy. Ben does not actually appreciate the working class because he's just made their jobs a lot harder. <laughs> um, that's... it goes down pretty clean. It goes down pretty clean. Yeah, like, um, it, it's weird. Like, human bodies, um, it takes a lot to burn them. Um, and they just had like a little <laughs> campfire out in their back garden. Yeah. Um, uh, that's going to cause some sanitary problems as well because they're literally disposing of a corpse. In um, <laughs> that's going to go into the drinking water. Oh, it's full on cinema cynic right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate it. I just I found it so funny. Just picturing like they leave the toilet, and then like half an hour later, it just slowly starts filling up with water. <laughs> and some poor dude has to just go like, "What is down here?" Let's let's let let's let's last wish was to troll the airport. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, this is a wish. white supremacist family. They don't like the, the the working class. She just wanted to make life inconvenience for inconvenient for them. Oh my god! I, oh my god! I, I this is such a meme reading. I'm gonna stick with it. Um, <laughs> if oh you if you happen to for some reason you are in a sixth form class uh, studying this film and you have made it to hour 130 you know 130 mark of this podcast yeah do not whatever you do take my dumb reading of this as a white supremacist family um you you will get a talking to i think yeah i mean you start right now they have the traits of white supremacism they are not text textually white supremacist but yeah but yes the the ending after this they kind of go and live in this little rural kind of house but it's in society they're kind of engaged with society yeah they're not living they're not living out in the woods now in the forest no and ben has succumbed to kind of a hybrid lifestyle it seems yeah you know they've got this farm where they're growing their own food but he's letting them go to school and he's letting bodovan leave and go yeah. home so he's gone go go, 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 go to go yeah traveling sorry he's gone from tiktok van life to tiktok cottagecore life um still presumably yeah. with the safety net of his father-in-law I find it quite interesting what you talked about. Um, I think that's a very good point about now he's actually letting his kids have some degree of agency. Yeah. And he I think that's... seems quite reluctant in the last scene. That's how I read it. Yeah, so this is an interesting thing. So for those who haven't seen it, and I, this was something I had in my notes to ask about. Mm. He The the, fi the final shot itself is a Bodovan's now gone. He's you know off traveling. And all the other kids who are kind of still at school, they're studying, kind of doing homework before they're meant to get on the bus. Yes. It's kind of nice, get a wide shot of them in, um, you know, in this really nice house. And Ben, sitting at the, at the end of the table, looks and sort of stares out, you know, out the window. You know, um, seemingly contemplating something yeah. or thinking something. What do you think that means? Correct me if I'm wrong. Is he staring at the right of the screen or the left of the screen? I think he's scaring um, state. Our right. So our right. Okay. Um, our, our right, his left. Because that's interesting. Because visual language here, I find this really interesting because um, it goes from how we read. Progressing left mm -hmm. to right is a visual indicator of progress. 
And if yeah. you look at a lot of cinema from uh, countries where they actually read right to left, like Japanese cinema, it's the reverse. Um, yeah. So I, I, I always thought he was looking back, as in he's literally looking back on the past, because I think he turns his head no. at a couple of points. Okay, right. I might have had that reading wrong. I'm, pr I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Okay. From my memory of it, that he, that he, he's at the end of the table, and that okay. he looks to our, our right. Green yeah. Right. Okay, that's interesting. I think it will be interesting if um, to have a look back at that. I. He looks dissatisfied in that scene. He has a very, I don't want to say submissive posture because I'm going to sound like some twat um, body body language analyst. Um, but he mm. he's sort of, he's very, he's slumped. He's quite reserved. Yeah. You can obviously say he's a shadow of his former self, which is not necessarily a bad thing because his former self was an absolute cunt. But he is not the man he was and he almost seems more upset for it, which is mm -hmm. sort of why... I personally feel this guy sees leaving his kids as an easier option than changing himself because he doesn't like what he's become in a way. My takeaway would be, would be he's reluctant because there's an interesting thing in this scene. It is devoid of sound. It's very it's yeah. devoid of non-diegetic sound. So this film has a lovely soundtrack by Sigur Ross, as we've said earlier. Mm -hmm. This is very long and very uncomfortable, and that is definitely deliberate. That's really interesting that you would say that's uncomfortable, because I take it the complete opposite way. Really? Absolutely complete. It's calm. It's calm. Huh. It's it's now we've now reached the new equilibrium, especially because it's just like the tattering. I mean, also, I've kind of got the shot up. He, he does look okay. um, left to right, by the way. Um, okay, so yeah, know. so he's looking um, forward. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, um, and just the way it's composed like you know it's got the, the light kind of cut coming out the window it looks really picturesque and um you know just kind of ideal rural life and it's kind mm. of just that calm of they're just, they're just there everyone's silent you know just doing what they're doing um and i, I it's me in my eyes he's looking out the window to the future you know because obviously you know um your, your point about him looking kind of you know mm. you know right of screen being progress he's looking out and he's going he's looking towards the future you know, and he's kind of going like, okay, you know, he's he's looking, standing from this point going, you know, this is the future. This is kind of, oh, kind of like contemplating, like, this is my new life. Mm. Huh. Kind of, you know, saying it's like, what does it hold? Sort of kind of thing. You know, now that I've made, you know, made the changes that my kids seem happy with. That's why I'm quite excited to do this podcast, because I think it's going to be fun to see what other things like that we can take away. I wonder yeah. if this is a, a, a pessimist, uh, uh, optimist oh, <laughs> going my. on here. The glasses, um... I don't, I, I'm definitely not like a glass half empty sort of person. I am a dissatisfied person if you give me a half empty glass, but it depends on the drink. And I do not like this drink. <laughs> <laughs> no, and um, I didn't either, but I found it to be an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> You'll appreciate it when you're older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You just, you just need to have it a few times. Yeah. Oh no, I'm, I'm good for you. Um, <laughs> you okay. Uh, is there any like last last thoughts? Because I think we've actually been quite succinct on. We've touched on what I wanted to touch on on what is this film really? Um, when we were talking about the scene with Jack, um, mm -hmm. I did mention. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I was going to say just by just the question that you posed at the start. I'm just going to mm. answer that in terms of is it personal or political film? Yeah, it's definitely both in some way. Yes, it's it's more more personal than political. A, it's autobiographical. It's reflecting Matt Ross's life mm. to some extent, um, and it, you know it's linking it's linking the two because ultimately I think Ben's character arc is 
and which is this, you know, kind of the big focus of the film is that he's allowing that he's seeing his children, you know, it's the personal thing that he's seeing his children as being individual entities mm. who are who are independent of him. Um, and he's and he's kind of having that arc towards away from his idealistic side and to his emotional, loving family side. And it's that kind of arc. And that does is obviously mirrored by the political thing because because obviously like you know his ideals are linked to his sort of you know left-wing kind of politics and all of that and obviously the counter example is you know jack who seemingly has more right-wing politics mm. and so it kind of has a structure of thesis you know antithesis you know antithesis antithesis yeah um synthesis where then you kind of get this kind of in the middle ish kind of thing of you know a bit more of a outsider lifestyle but it's still within the confines of society that especially is you know not this hyper idealistic and you know he's going to let his kids have agency and experience you know the world as others are able to as well i like that takeaway my one i agree it's both but for me it's a very mm. dissatisfactory mix of both um as i said earlier i think it sacrifices what could be a more interesting personal plot when it's trying to be political and it sort of falls on its face on that mm. i find it weird that you say this is semi-autobiographical because it it doesn't actually feel very i quite like semi-autobiographical stories i find them very interesting and to me until he said that i would have said this is just an oddly pretentious uh, road trip movie so i find it quite interesting that you said it is based on the guy's life mm. so first episode of killed my darling is this gonna go on the list of films we both like well, um, my vote on it now, after many... Again, I spent a long time hating this film. For me, it goes on the yes, yes side. But I, I'm assuming you're not going to have the same take. Um, I think I think the thing is, it doesn't even matter if we both like it or not. I think it's more if we reach consensus. And I don't enjoy this. I think it's more about enjoyment. No. Um, yeah. I find this movie annoying. Like I say, listeners, please do not think I'm one of those cinema sins idiots. I point that out <laughs> because I find it funny. I find it funny to imagine a janitor having to unclog a toilet. It just makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> as someone who's had to do that in my own job, it makes me laugh. I do not enjoy this movie. I find it frustrating. I think we have different experiences of it. Uh, but I actually found that really quite interesting having a catch up. Um, and I look forward to um, doing this more. Yeah. Yeah, and that was definitely a discussion we've, uh, despite having talked about the film many times. Yeah, um, probably the discussion has never gone like that. But uh, yeah, I ultimately, it, yeah, I haven't found a film for the list this week. <laughs> no. Um, however, next week, would you like to give a little teaser of what we're doing? So next week, we're going to be continu continuing on the theme of studying uh, or, or, or talking about the films we did at A level, and uh, we're going to be talking about. The Coen Brothers' No Country for Old Men. Yes, I am quite excited for this because I've re-downloaded the audiobook. I'm going through it right now. I might dig out the article I wrote. Definitely do. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that because that was the thing that really got me interested in becoming a writer and I don't, I don't really know how I feel about revisiting it. So we shall see. Yes, indeed. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for giving this show a, um, a try. I appreciate it. it might be a bit rambling. We're obviously getting our feet here. If you enjoyed it, Please like and subscribe, uh, share it with your friends, comment down in the section. You know how this works. You're someone on the internet. If you disagree with anything we've said, 
please direct message me in the Instagram. I need distraction during my degree, and I would love to have a fight with someone in the comment section. I was being sarcastic. This, this doesn't extend to me. No, please don't harass. Zach is a Zach. Zach is um, Zach is to be protected at all cost. I, however, will have a fight with someone um, physically. Find me, fight me, <laughs> please. I'm bored. And on that note, I think this will, <laughs> you're, uh, you'll be coming to an end of, uh, of, of the first episode. Of yeah. Kill My Darling. Yay. See you guys. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.